Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of John. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks again this day, this day of resurrection, this Sunday where we are reminded that Jesus Christ is alive and has conquered the grave, and that he has done so for our sake. Lord, as we hear now the great promises and proclamations that come forth from the resurrection, we pray that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Can you really blame Thomas? Can you really blame Thomas for not believing the message of the disciples? Now, I know we do this all the time. We call him Doubting Thomas, but let's make no mistake. Thomas didn't have doubts. Thomas didn't believe. He was what we would call an unbeliever in these moments. The disciples came to Thomas after saying that they had seen the risen Jesus, and they announced the news to Thomas that Christ had risen from the dead. And Thomas said, unless I touch the holes in his hands and I touch the scar in his side, I will not believe. And can you blame him? I mean, the last time Thomas saw Jesus, Jesus was being arrested and taken away to a Roman crucifixion. Typically, people who die in Roman crucifixions don't come back to life. So for Thomas, he needed to see it to believe it. The message wasn't enough. Seeing is believing. Now, to be fair to Thomas, we always tend to, tend to pick on him in this text, but if we read the whole text today, we find that Thomas was not the only unbeliever we encounter here. All of the disciples did not believe, or probably better said, none of the disciples believed that Jesus Christ rise from the dead. That's why on that first Easter evening, they are locked inside of a room, as it says, for fear of the Jews, for fear that they are next. They do not know what is coming, but they are certain it means death for them. And so they are hiding out, afraid, not certain what will come after all of this. They'd seen Jesus crucified, they knew he was dead, and it was not something they believed that he would rise again. And yet that night, there Jesus was, standing in their midst, in that locked upper room, mysteriously, miraculously showing up. He just shows up, and notice what he does when he arrives. He begins to speak. And he speaks to them words of peace, words of healing and reconciliation and restoration. Jesus stands there in the midst of those faithless sinners, and the first words out of his mouth, I told you so. No, that's not what he says. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. To those sinners who had abandoned Jesus, those ones who claimed to be his friends and then denied him when the going got tough, those who were afraid to die alongside Jesus, he comes and instead of chastising them, belittling them, or rebuking them, Jesus says, Peace be with you. And then, eight days later, faithless Thomas has the exact same experience. So to be fair, Thomas did get rebuked. He was rebuked for not believing the word of the others. Nonetheless, Jesus allows Thomas to touch the holes in his hands and to see the scar in his side. And then upon touching and seeing Jesus, Thomas then finally believes what he heard. 
but it's because he saw. That's pretty awesome, actually. I mean, that's really awesome to hear this news that Thomas's unbelief was done away with because he saw the risen Lord. The, the disciples, their unbelief was done away with because they saw the risen Lord and they reported to us, and we can rejoice in this. It's a wonderful thing for them. But what about us? Because I venture to guess that many of us have had the same question that Thomas has had. Unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it, so prove it. I mean, do you ever find yourself there doubting this account? Doubting the resurrection of Jesus? And if not just doubting the resurrection of Jesus, maybe, do you find yourself doubting God in general? Doubting his love, doubting his word, believing that he is there to forgive? I mean, we hear about this stuff all the time. But our hearing and what we hear doesn't always match our sight. And a lack of sight tends to lead to a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God's word. Wouldn't it just be better if we could be like Thomas and see? Well, not according to Jesus. Not for now, anyway. As was just mentioned, it didn't seem to please Jesus all that much that Thomas wouldn't believe unless he saw him. The fact that it took seeing and touching drove Jesus to say these words to Thomas. Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Touching and seeing convinced Thomas into believing. But Jesus suggests that there's a more blessed way to come to faith. And that is through hearing. And that's a hard for us to wrap our minds around, because especially now, we live in a rather scientific age where seeing and touching are the most important of our senses when it comes to making sense of the world around us. We have a hard time believing what we are told unless we can experience it with our hands and with our eyes. Without sight, without touch, we just kind of won't believe. Consider, uh, for example, the great scientist Copernicus. Before Copernicus came along, everyone generally believed uh, that the Earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around the Earth. Copernicus comes along and he begins to proclaim that actually, no, the sun is at the center and the earth revolves around the sun. And everybody thought he was nuts until he could prove it. He could verify it with science. And now we just kind of assume it. After all, we have rocket ships that go up into space and show us that it's true. And we have all this scientific evidence to demonstrate this to us. We need to see it and then we will believe it. Copernicus has won the day because he's proven it with science. We see it, we touch it, and we believe it. And here's why God is such a problem for us. Because you can't touch him. You can't see him. Quite frankly, I think sometimes he hides from us, almost on purpose. And I'm sure we've all heard stories of people who have experienced God in really incredible ways, like the car broke down on the side of the road, and somebody showed up and helped fix the car and suddenly disappeared, and we never saw them again, or there was some experience somebody had in a difficult moment, and they just knew God was there, and that's all wonderful and good, and there may be something to that, but the reality is we can't pin those sorts of things down. We can't examine them scientifically, and quite frankly, it's not something that happens to us every single day as far as we can tell. So often we're left wondering, 
Why can't I see God? What can I know about God? How can I know if there is a God? And if there is, how do I know he loves me? How do I know God is for me if I can't see his love or touch his love in a concrete way? See, unless I see God's love and touch God's love, I'm not sure I can believe in God's love. You see, Jesus today comes to us, and he's decided that he wants to deal with us with one of our different senses. We've got five senses. We've got sight, we've got taste, we've got touch, we've got smell, and we've got hearing. And Jesus has decided that the main one he wants to work with is our hearing. Jesus has decided that the primary way he wants to deal with us is by means of words that go into our ears. And the words he speaks are words of peace with God. His word of grace and love comes to us through proclaimed words. And it's really, quite frankly, a sign of original sin that we don't trust our ears in the least. Because it's through our ears that God has primarily decided to deal with us and to address us. Now, don't get me wrong here. We have plenty of cause in our lives throughout the world right now not to trust what we hear. I mean, quite frankly, everybody, I mean, we want to get proof from science. I think we've learned in this last year, everybody is claiming proof from science and coming to different conclusions about everything, it seems. I mean, we hear all kinds of stories about all kinds of things in the news, and the news uh, channels can't seem to agree on what they're reporting. It just depends on which station you're watching. And so we're hearing a lot of information, and it's very hard for us to trust what we hear. But such an abuse and misuse of language should not cause us to shy away from the words that come to us from the mouth of our Lord and our God. You see, the words that come to us from Jesus, the words that Jesus chooses to speak to us, are incredible words. Words that actually create what they say. Words that create faith. We worry about God if you can't see him. We wonder if we can trust him. We fear he is not all he promises to be. We may lose sleep over whether or not sinners such as us have any hope before this God. This is why Jesus speaks the way he does when he shows up in the midst of those disciples and he shows up and he speaks to them words, again, of promise and of peace and reconciliation. Jesus shows up in the upper room and he says, peace, be with you. And, and so that you know that that peace is not bound to that upper room experience, that the peace is not locked in that room with Jesus and those disciples, Jesus does something that's really quite wonderful. After he says, peace be with you, listen to what he says. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. An incredible verse. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In other words, Jesus, who has chosen to deal with us by means of words, sends his disciples out and sends his church, that is you and I, out into the world with a message, with a word to be proclaimed that is given the power of the Holy Spirit. And those words that have the power of the Holy Spirit Deliver Jesus Christ into our ears and into our hearts. We are called to go out, and Martin Luther described the church this way, it is a mouse house. 
a house that proclaims, a people that declares good news, a people that goes forth proclaiming the forgiveness of sins on account of the Lord Jesus Christ dying and rising. It's as if Jesus is saying this to the disciples in that upper room. Look, I'm sending you out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive people's sin, I am there in those words delivering the forgiveness. When you proclaim the forgiveness of sins, Jesus says, it is as if I am standing there in the room saying it myself. And when people hear it, they're not listening to you. They are listening to me. I give you my power, the power of the Spirit, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins into people's ears and hearts so that they will believe. This is the job that Christ has given to us as the church. This is the message we are to go forth proclaiming in the world. And I think this is an important thing for the church to remember as we seem to want to get caught up in all kinds of big discussions and political conversations these days in the world. And some of those are very necessary conversations. The church needs to remember that her primary job is to announce forgiveness on account of the risen Jesus Christ. That is what we are here to do. And you need to understand something. This happens for us every single week. Now, the whole church is given this responsibility, but God has actually given us uh, a place in which this will actually take place all the time so that we can be certain we will hear it. It's called the church. And in fact, that's the whole job of a pastor. That's my responsibility here. And this is what we do every single week when we gather. When I stand up in front of you, and I don't get the confession and absolution wrong like I did today, like I remember my part and I remember your part. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that. Nonetheless, uh, during the confession and absolution, you will hear me say something to the effect of this. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. I want you to think about those two phrases really quickly. In the stead and by the command. In the stead means that I'm standing here in Jesus' place, that I have been sent here so that Jesus, as he says to the disciples, he who hears you hears me. So when I stand here, I'm here as Christ's representative so that the words you're listening to in that absolution time are not my words, but Christ's words that I'm sent to deliver to you. Then, I'm not only here in the stead of Jesus Christ, but I'm here by the command. And where's the command? It's what we heard today. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you keep your mouth shut, they won't be forgiven. So go out there and proclaim the good news. So in the setting by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I stand up here and I announce to you the forgiveness of all of your sins. And when you hear that absolution, when you hear that forgiveness, it is just as real and Jesus is just as present in those words as he was in that upper room, declaring peace to you and announcing to you exactly what he has accomplished for you through his death and resurrection on the cross and in the empty tomb. And then we suddenly become like Thomas. How can this be? How can I trust the guy up front and what he's saying? Isn't it only Jesus who forgives? I'll never forget one of my first years of college, we were discussing this in one of our classes. And one girl would just not listen to this. She kept saying, only Jesus forgives. And she's like pointing at the professor, which is like not a great plan. Only Jesus forgives. Only Jesus forgives. And you know she's right. Only Jesus forgives. But he's chosen to do it through our mouths by putting his word into our ears. That's where Christ's forgiving work takes place. Jesus said, 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As of yet, we cannot look upon the wounds of our risen Jesus. But here, when we gather in his place around his word, he looked upon us and he said, Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the forgiveness of sins which you give to us in so many wonderful and, and, and gracious ways. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would be found faithful to you at all times, proclaiming your mercies to one another and to the world, so that the world might come to know all that you have accomplished through your death and resurrection. Lord Jesus, keep us in the faith and grant us your Holy Spirit to carry us through all our days and to give us your words to speak. In Jesus' name we pray.